Tonight, what I'd like to do, how many people have been here one of the last two weeks? Let me just see. Great, good amount of people. So I've been talking a lot the last few weeks. So I thought maybe uh, we'd do something more interactive, meaning if there are any questions that came up or any um, anything that's happened in the last few weeks that you'd like to talk about or you'd like to hear me talk about or you want more information or you liked or you didn't like, all of that's good for us to really start to look at and see what we keep understanding. Because the, one of the, one of the um, ways sati is being translated, and sati is, is the word, the satipatthana sutta is where the four foundations of mindfulness come from. And so the word that's often translated as um, uh, or that's been translated as mindfulness is sati, and um, one of one of the ways the sati patana practice is it, it has two parts. There are things that one does and things that one abides in. What one does and what one abides in, and the actions that are listed in the suttas that what we do when we're practicing sati is to observe, to pay attention, to know, and to understand. And that's an important part of practice to hear. And, and then when, what one abides in is sati. One abides in knowing, understanding, learning, recognizing, awakening as one learns, knows, understands, etc. So, um, let's see what we understand. Let's see what we don't understand. That's a great door to Dharma. Like, and this is something I talked about last week, about not knowing. And not knowing is one of the doorways to knowing. And so we don't have to know everything. And uh, probably most of us don't know everything. Right? Is that agreed on? Okay. So at least two people agree with me, but thank you. <laughs> but, but, um, and, and really, but it's such a, it's, at least for me, it's much more interesting realm of human reality to see that I don't know rather than think that I know. Because the knowing, and I know a little bit of this and that, you know, I've been around for a while. And, and that's all good. All the knowing is good. But don't, and I said this last week, we don't want to let our knowing limit our learning, our beginning to perceive more, beginning to understand more about reality. Because reality is happening right now, and this is where we wake up. It's right here, not somewhere else. Right here. And if it's somewhere else, when, when you're in that somewhere else, it's going to be right here. It's not in some future idea. It's an immediacy that starts to reveal more of reality. And when I say reality, I'm talking about all of you, all of us. We are reality. We are one of the manifestations of reality. And so this reality starts to know itself or wake up to the reality of what's here. So let's talk about, you know, I've been talking a, a bunch about practice, being aware, 
what does it mean to be aware, how to know, not doing so much, relaxing. I've been giving you know, my current instructions. Um, and then last week I talked a lot about not knowing, and I'd love to continue that conversation or any conversation that really interests you. Right? I'm, I'm open. Let's go somewhere totally different. Really, that place you think we can't go. I'm all totally open to that. <laughs> but, and even if I'm not open to it, I'm open to not being open to it. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want to talk what do you want to talk about tonight? Or what do you want me to talk about tonight? Please. If you could stand, say your name. Hi, I'm Four. <laughs> okay, I'm not open to that, but that's not bad. So if nobody else has a question, I have to. Well, you said one. Okay. Um, a couple weeks ago, you talked about um, how you went on your own retreat. Yeah, yeah, I was sitting it. Yeah. And it had been a long time. Yeah. Then, you know, before, before my accident, correct. And you talked about how, as you were sitting and walking, that the retreat Eugene lit up. Yes. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. What I find when, for my, in my own practice when something connects, it's almost like I'm connecting with something that I didn't know I knew, but when I knew. Okay, the way so you talked about it sounded like that. So that saying she's noticed in her own practice sometimes there's a kind of connection that happens but it's like a connection to something she didn't know that she knew and that what I talked about was similar to that. Well, yeah, I wouldn't quite say it like that for me, but it was like, so, and, and especially for people who are new, I had a very serious accident almost a year and a half ago now and I'm still recovering from the accident in which I keep watching in amazement. And um, and um, part of the accident was head injury, so I lost my mind to some degree for a while. And um, and uh, so everything, one of the things that's happened as part of the what I keep uh, um, being uh, aware of is um, there's a feeling that um, when I go and do things that I haven't done since before the accident. I don't know how to do them, and, and that—that's the feeling. I, you know, I know, I know in my mind, I know how to do. You know, I can think, oh yeah, you did this, and you know how to do it. But that's not the affective feeling. The affective feeling is like I have no idea. This has been true of teaching. When I coming back to teaching, I felt like I didn't know what would happen or how it would go, or and teaching here, or then teaching retreats, and then. You know, or, or, or everything. And so, um, what, what I kept noticing was I would go into something and something would light up. And it wasn't like I knew the past. It was like all the capacities that had been developed were there and then they were known in a new way now. And that seemed fine with me. I was 
I'm happy with that. I'm happy I'm here at all, so I'm totally. And, um, um, and yeah, I don't know if this is actually ask, answering your question, but it's like, um, I'm a little bit uh, struck by consciousness and how it functions and how we're not doing it. And so to start to pay attention to consciousness functioning, even with the training it has. And, and to be honest, this even happened right after the accident, even in the hospital, when I was seriously, uh, who knew what was going to happen. But there were times when there was an awakeness, but it wasn't me doing the awakeness. Not at all. I mean, I didn't have that capacity to even think that way. I couldn't even think, oh, be mindful now. But consciousness was happening. And that, that was illuminating. Even though who it illuminated, I have no idea in a certain way. Because I wasn't quite there in the usual way or the familiar way one knows oneself. So that's a little bit of an answer. If, is there more? You want to ask me a little more? Yeah. Stand up, please. So I guess I, I guess I feel like a lot of what has been coming up for me with this practice is like tapping into the like universal consciousness. Okay, tapping into universal consciousness. You may be. Well, I wonder if you can speak, speak about that. Like, is that? Does that sound crazy to you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds crazy to me, but I'm cool with crazy. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound crazy to me. It's not the way we usually talk about things, right? We don't we we have a limited idea of what reality is and we like to live in our familiar limitations. And that's true for all of us. And one of the things the Dharma starts to reveal is the limited or fixated view of reality has its place, but it's not the end of the story. And who knows, really, where the end of the story is. That's why being awake is such an interesting thing. Spending time learning how to be aware of what we're aware of is such a great thing to do because at least my experience with my accident was even when I didn't know how to be mindful consciousness was awake and that was very interesting to see that function now why there are different you know people have said to me and this could be true oh you've done a lot of practice so that happened because of the practice maybe that's true I, I don't know but there was also another uh, possibility that I saw that also may be true, which is when we get out of the way, consciousness is awake. And that may be how it is for consciousness, when we're not so um, identified with our identity and with the whole way we know reality and me and everything, when that lets go, what's here? And everybody here will have a chance to find out 
that, I promise you, right? Because if, if we're all going to die, that's an interesting opportunity to see what happens. And we all will have that opportunity. And it's not a bad thing. This is one of the, one of the things I love about Buddhism and Buddhism's relationship to death, which is death is understood, you know, they often say birth and death, birth and death, and birth hyphen and hyphen death. Birth and death are connected. They're not separate things. If you're born, you're going to die. If you're going to die, you've been born. It's true for all beings. That's part of reality. And so it's not a bad thing. We think it's a bad thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Let's see what happens when we die. Okay, is that a little bit helpful? Okay, great. Please. Wait, wait, it's a little slower, please, Antonio. Um, you know, here's the thing, Antonio. It depends, it's different for each person. And one of the beauties of Dharma, as I understand it, is the Dharma is um, sensitive and I believe made for everybody, but not in one way. Right? Like it's not just, oh, you have to just sit like this and that's the only way. Or no, or you have to study all this and that's the only way. Or you have to be a monastic and that's the only way. Or you have to, it, it really depends. So for some people, study is a beautiful dharma door to reality, to awakening. And here, I'll give you an example because I was talking about it. Now, let me see if I can remember. And this is still part of my recovery, is my memory. Let me just think, oh, shit. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's a certain, there's a sutra, I'm trying to remember the name of It's a very big sutra, and it's really out there. I mean, it's an out there description of reality, but I can't remember the name of it. So I'm going to say what I was going to say anyways. And, and this sutra describes realms of reality. And I mean realms like, you don't usually say, you know, there's realms of the flower realm, or the scented realm of reality, or this realm of reality, or that realm. The Avatamsaka Sutra. The Avatamsaka Sutra. And it's a beautiful, it's like, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like poetry and science fiction together. And it's beautiful. And it's rich. And you, you have to really give yourself to it to read it. Because not easy. And there was somebody I knew who read it twice and had a huge awakening, right? From their pursuing that study that they were drawn to. And so one of the ways I understand Dharma practice is see what you're drawn to and trust that and let it give yourself to it. And I say that in terms of study in general for people. Some people are interested in learning more about mindfulness. Some people are interested in more about compassion. Some people want to learn about emptiness. I say, oh yeah, study it. Study it in your own experience. Study what's been written about it. Study the poetry that's come about it and see what happens. 
and then some people study is like that's not their doorway and so meditation alone that's their door that's all they just do enough study so they keep learning how to meditate more and go very far with that practice here's something Antonio that I I, I told a few things that maybe I draw and I'm going to draw on it because I, I've um, uh, I've gone both ways with study. At first, I didn't do any study. I just wanted to meditate, and I did a lot of meditation. It was great. And then I was asked to teach. Jack Cornfield asked me to teach, and I thought he was crazy. But I thought, well, if Jack wants me to do it, I'll do it because I respect him. He's my teacher. And even though I figured he doesn't know anything about me if he's asking me to teach well. Um, and, uh, and so the first thing he had me do was read suttas. And I was like not interested in that at all. But I did it. And I was so surprised at how, uh, how much it gave me to study. And how much it, it like, um, I don't know I mean, the word, uh, it like was like um, uh, um, flour for cooking in some way. It was really, you know, I didn't know that I would uh, it would impact me in the way that it did. And even still, and I don't, I'm not a big studier, but when somebody something really catches my attention and I want to know about it, I'll study it. And the studying, it's you know, consciousness learns in so many ways. So I love the direct experience. I totally sold on meditation forever, mostly, you know, except when I want to go to a ball game or something. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but also, study is such a beautiful way to wake up. And it's like, it's like a nutriment for some people, not for everybody. You don't have to make yourself a studier. But if you're drawn to something, don't be afraid to, to court it to court it through study. And here, this is something, I, you know, I don't know who wrote this, but I have it written down. It said, the world is calling you to come play, to come risk, to let your heart burn with a passion that will make sense of your life. The world will speak to you as intimately as your mother did when you were a child if you allow the body to teach you its different way of listening. Oh, I know, this was about body brain. And then, and then they say this, they say the story of George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver, if you don't know, was a brilliant African-American botanist. And somebody asked him, how is it you understand these plants so well? How is it that you understand these plants so well? And he replied, if you love it enough, anything will talk to you. Now that's a beautiful understanding. If you love it enough, anything will talk to you. And so it's pointing to the heartfulness that one brings to Dharma practice. And it could be study, it could be meditation, it can be service, it can be in metta, it can be in compassion. See where your heart wakes up. See what draws your heart, what interests you, what you care about. Because if you love it enough, it'll talk to you. And it'll talk to you in ways you've never been talked to before, even better than your mother. <laughs>
Okay? We're, thank you. Yeah, thank you. What else? Go ahead. Stand up, please. Hey, I'm Mike. Um, Pardon? Mike. Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about um, the sort of state of consciousness of awareness that one can get into in a retreat. I was recently on a retreat where there's sort of clarity, there's open-heartedness, uh-huh. there's tranquility and joy, uh-huh. and then moving from that back into our everyday world and sort of feel like an assault and uh-huh. expanded big mind to really contracted consciousness. Uh-huh. Yeah. How to work with that shift to stay awake. How to work with that shift to stay awake. To stay awake. So, okay, so let me, and, and you might need to help me, remind me a little bit of some of the things you said, okay, because um, you're describing certain um, states of consciousness that arose, excuse me, in practice. Um, how long were you practicing? Um, I was on a week-long retreat. A week-long, where? where? Spirit Rock? Or? Spirit Rock. Spirit Rock, okay. Yeah. So here's here's the first thing. Do you know the difference between sati and samadhi? No. So sati is what's usually translated as mindfulness. I'm calling it awareness these days. Um, Samadhi is the um, unification of mind. So like all of us, if you notice, we're a little bit, we've got a lot going on all the time. Thoughts and feelings and this and that and other and things and calls and the iPhone and, you know, whatever it is, we've got a lot of stuff. TV and news and sports and people and love and hate and, you know, politics. And, and, and we're not unified often. So one of the things that happens on retreat and it happens actually quite naturally to some degree, is mostly you're in silence. So you're not doing the usual interaction. And then you're asked to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. And like mostly on Vipassana Chief, you'd be encouraged to pay attention to your body, your breath, as a way to begin to develop samadhi or mature the samadhi, or center the samadhi. And of course, anything else that's significant becomes the meditation, a feeling, sounds, whatever, walking, whatever's happening. But what, what's happening is you're unifying body and mind and heart. And that brings the states of consciousness you're describing. Clarity, relaxation, openness, open-heartedness, it starts to reveal the naturalness of who and what we are. Or, or another way I could say that is it starts to reveal naturally who and what we are. And so all the tension and fragmentation that we experience generally starts to relax or dissolve or go away or become unified. And when we're not doing this and we start to do this, it's actually amazingly pleasurable, right? And that's one of the characteristics of samadhi is it's pleasant. 
and we like it and we think oh this is me because it is you it is you in the deeper deeper sense it's not that this isn't us this is part of us but but we forget to look closely at what's here and see the depth of what's here so um, wait 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 and um, so okay so there's your samadhi with your practice and then there's coming home right and there's an art to the transition from retreat life to what's called normal life generally and part of that is to see oh we're very sensitive when we're here like the sensitivity you don't have to try to be sensitive you're here and that's part of what it is to be a human being we're consciousness consciousness is sensitive and all the forms of consciousness body heart and mind are sensitive and so it takes sometimes a while to get used to the sensitivity with the complexity you're now engaging because you were in a simpler world that supported the revelation of the depth of who and what you are and then and then one of the next steps like for the next five or ten or twenty years one of the next steps is to learn how to mature the understanding that you've begun to taste and and here's the two words I think of related to this there's the realization of reality and then there's the actualization of reality and that's a, that's more a more mature step because it means yeah you're right here in the middle of the world and you still can make contact with what's here in the middle of the real world right even though you're thinking about a lot you're taking care of a lot you're responding to a lot you have a lot of feelings and that's why the awareness practice is so beautiful because you're already aware of all those things if you start to highlight the awareness in the city and and you don't even have to do anything you don't have to do breath or anything but just be aware then when you get up to go out you still you're going to be aware and I don't mean you're going to do it automatically but it starts to mature Okay, is that helpful? Yes. Great. Yeah, and really, it's it's a, it's an art. I mean, and it's funny. I I I'm really feeling this more and more, like the Dharma or living, really living, waking up and living is an art, and not to be afraid to experiment and make mistakes, because any good artist knows how to do that. In fact, really, what good artists know how to do is they steal from the best. <laughs> really, I was, a, I was a musician for many years. And really, yeah, that's what you do. You hear somebody who's good and you say, oh, that's good. And then you mimic it for a while until it becomes part of you. And then something else comes out that some, some uh, melding of what you've gotten from someone else and what's alive here now great please hi I'm Marissa Marissa yeah 
Good. Um, well, one is that to tell you the truth and your instructions make me anxious. Yeah, my instructions make Marissa anxious, okay? Yeah, I'm already, like, I think too aware and just like, I don't know. I'm already pretty sensitive. Okay, you're, you're sensitive in a certain way. Well, I'm, I get overstimulated, right? Okay, you get overstimulated. So, I don't really need to walk out of here feeling more aware, but I kind of just need to chill out a little bit. But, okay. at any rate, I'm, I'm going to be going on this retreat, and I've never been on a retreat, and I always swore I would never go on one of these retreats. Um, Which retreat? You coming on our retreat? Yeah. Great. <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah, and, and I always thought I would never go for like all these reasons. And but then my heart was like, you know, I, I, I want to go and go, and I found a way to make it work. Great. A lot of obstacles. Great. And great. I could go. And now that I'm going, my yeah. mind is like, what is you Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean I don't mean it's good that you. I'm just you're aware of that. I'm falling asleep now all the time. Yeah, it's okay. I'm I'm getting all disinterested and bored. Okay, okay. Let, let me give you a little... Wait, wait. <laughs> it's great, great to bring this up. How do I prepare? Don't. <laughs> Relax. No, no, but I'm going to say a few things. Cause, but you're already preparing. That, that's what's happening. Your psyche is uh, nervous about this. Now I'm like myself, like, ah. Yeah, so you're scared. Yeah. Okay, so start to be mindful of being scared. And it's not a bad thing. It's an emotion you're having. And one of the things that we, we're very funny human beings, is whatever is happening, anywhere between 50 and 90% of the time, we don't want that to be happening. <laughs> no, I'm serious for all of us. You know, I'm angry. Oh, I don't want to be angry. It's bad. It's not Buddhist. Blah, 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 you know? <laughs> or I'm scared. Or I'm, I feel sad. Or or I'm so happy I can't even tell anybody because everybody else will feel. But, you know, we have a lot of ideas and judgments about reality. And we want to be aware of that because otherwise we believe it. And we act out of our reactions, our our ideas about reality, rather than say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm going to go on retreat, maybe I'm going to die. Let's see. <laughs> no, I, I mean, wait, I mean, no, um, I'm not wishing that to you, um, I'm sure it hasn't sometimes, it's never happened on any of my retreats. <laughs> really? Um, and you know, but anyway, let me, I'll be really personal with you. Can I be personal with you? So I've been in a mental institution, right? I don't even, it was great. So, so I'm serious about this. When I was 14, I quit school, which was illegal, and um, there was a lot of problems about that. And I was very um, determined, young man, not to go back to school. And finally, they, at some point, and I was, being somewhat rebellious, so I was staying up all night and sleeping all day. And um, and finally, uh, my parents came and talked because the school had to report that I wasn't there. And then they were calling in, and they they were calling my parents. And basically, here were the two options: 
either I was going to get put in juvenile, and I was, I was, uh, I thought I was very old, but I was only 14, and I was not even, I hadn't even been through puberty at 14, so I was young 14, and then, um, uh, so, and so, Juvie would not have been a great place for me, I can assure you. So either, they said, either I could go to juvenile, which that would have been fine with the city of Detroit, or um, I could go to a mental hospital and get some help. And so my parents, they, they, didn't, they knew they didn't have any control over me. And so they said, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? And uh, I didn't want to go to juvie. I knew that wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I thought I was tough, but I wasn't tough. And so, uh, and after, uh, actually I remember now what happened. My brother, who was like college age, came in and talked to me. And he started crying. And really, he just touches me now. And it so struck me that, oh, they're really concerned about me. You know, like he was concerned. He wasn't my parents. This is my brother. And I said, okay, I'll go to the mental hospital. And to be honest, it was great. No, no joke. No joke. So, so watch out what you, even when you say a, a stereotype like that, you don't know if, you know, like I, you know, I, I was having a breakdown of some kind, right? You know, for an adolescent breakdown, that's what, that was, here's my diagnosis, I'm being really honest with you. My official diagnosis in the mental hospital was adolescent adjustment disorder. And, you know, so, and actually it was, a, it was in Detroit, it was a public hospital there, and it was great. People were, uh, you know, there was no medication at that time, and I didn't get medicated. And I had a great shrink whose name, uh, I'm not going to tell you, it's too, too, it's beautiful, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> His name was, uh, um, um, Walter Guevara. And Walter was, um, you know, he'd just gotten out of college or something. And, and he, he was, he was just a good guy. And I realized very quickly, like, oh, the way to do this was to be honest with him. And it was really helpful, and he was very helpful. And later, when I moved to New York, and I was, I was involved in radical politics, leftist politics, I came back and I visited Walter. You know, he was my old shrink, because even after I was in the hospital, I saw him for a few years. And, uh, and I came back and talked to him, and he said, oh yeah, I know a little about that. And my cousin was doing a lot of that. And his, his name was Walter Guevara. So his cousin was Che Guevara. <laughs> so I, I got some good lineage there. So watch, see, and so, but the key to what we're talking about is watch what your mind is telling you and you're believing. Right? Because our minds, you know, we think our minds that's who and what we are. Maybe that's not the case either. Right? Like our mind tells us all this stuff. Everybody get a little story about themselves that the mind makes up all the time, every day? Right? Okay, well that's relative. It has its relative reality, relative truth. It's not ultimate truth. 
and to start to see that you can be aware of your mind like the awareness is not bound to what it's aware of right just like you can be aware of the sensations in your body or the feelings in your heart the awareness is not bound to what it's aware of it knows what it aware of what's happening in your mind and that's good to know that but because then you can start see oh do I want to believe this or not because like notice what your mind tells you about other people you know like all prejudice is the mind making up some fantasy about people and then people believe it and act on it and people get hurt killed discriminated against all because of the mind and people believing a fantasy that's been made up or, or something that's been handed down and then so so what mindfulness does is it starts to really allow this quality of awareness to be of use like I was saying before right the the uh, the actions uh, listed for sati are observing, know, to observe, to know, to understand. And so we start to understand instead of just believe the mind. We start to see what it's doing. So you're afraid. Not a problem. And I'll be honestly, any time I go and retreat, I don't get really afraid, but I get a teeny bit afraid the day before because I have no idea what will happen. And that's true. That's not a bad thing. Reality is much more interesting than anything I could imagine. Really. And even, even I'll be honest, I'll be personal. I'm going to, you know, probably because I've been on retreat for a week, I'm in a personal mood. But even, even my accident, which was a horrible accident, I don't recommend to anyone. So many good things came out of that. I would have never imagined that. Ever. So many good things came out of that accident. And I don't think, oh yeah, everybody should have an accident because things no. But who knows? Let uh, human reality is so wild in a certain way. Who knows what's gonna happen? So you don't know, and part of the meditative process is getting a little more comfortable with knowing and not knowing, and being aware of what we know and what we don't know, or that we don't know. So I, I really want to encourage you to, to stay aware, like you're doing, but be careful about uh, believing at all. Okay, and then I'll say one other thing. One thing you can always do right now is if you feel like too much, it's too much, you have two choices. You can be aware of too much, and that gets interesting. Oh, you know, I'm aware of too much. Let me, let me be aware of too much. Oh, I feel like my body's going to explode. I think my mind's going to fall off. And you just stay aware of whatever we believe too much is. Or if it just feels like like uh, kinesthetically too much then go back to the body and the breath in order and this is where samadhi is very helpful 
in beginning to create a certain um, a balance. And balance is very important in practice, right? Not all the time, but definitely at times. One wants to know how to balance one's heart and mind. And so there, the breath is really, two things are really good. Being mindful of the body and the breathing, also samadhi, I mean, um, a metta practice can be really good. Like, when, when I'm having a hard time these days, which is, it's not, I, I can do a lot of different things. But what I notice, and what I'm calling hard time is meaning I can't get to sleep, and I want to get to sleep, I do metta practice. And that's all I did. And I just watched my mind go, So, and there are skills we're learning as we learn how to meditate. And so I'm pointing you at some of the skills that you're asking about, which is how to, ba- how to, how to stay aware, but also how to bring balance when it feels too imbalanced. Okay? And I'm totally happy you're going on the retreat. And I mean that sincerely. And I don't mean, oh, it'll all be easy. You'll have whatever you have. We'll work with it all. It's all workable. And even workable, if you have to leave, you leave. You know, this is human reality. This is not some some mechanical idea. I'm particularly worried about the conformity idea. I have a lot of ideas. I think I've screened them all. You have, but okay. <laughs> a lot of ideas about conformity. Yeah, like I have this whole story going about conformity that I will not be able to do it and I will, you know, I know what myself and everything will just, I, I won't wake up. I, okay, I, well, I, let's see what happens. We'll throw you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, you'll be the first person thrown out of meditation issue. <laughs> it's good to have a little humor about it. Often, yeah. But it's great, great. You, you're watching your mind. And that's good because you're not just your mind. Something's watching your mind. Please. Alberto. 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 Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm a new, very new to practice. New, new to practice. So I'd like to know what the difference between consciousness and awareness is. That's a really hard and good question. I like that. You first tell me what's on your shirt. Um, it's a symbol by an artist by the name of Matthew Barney. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so what's the difference between consciousness and awareness? Um, uh, awareness is a function. I'm going to say what I say, and you know, I'm I'm not saying it's a definitive answer, but I'm going to give a little answer because you're asking. So awareness is a function of being, right? It's one of the capacities of being to be aware. Consciousness is much, at least in my mind, is a much broader description of the human experience which includes body, heart, mind, the whole consciousness that's sitting here. And I, I don't have a good definition of it. Like, you ask me, it's like, oh, I'll go to the dictionary and really look those words up and see so I can be a little more precise, uh, at least in giving some kind of answer. Y- yeah. 
So it's not just awareness. Awareness, I would think, at least the way I'm talking about it, which might not be accurate, awareness would be a function of consciousness. Okay, that's a little bit how I, what comes to me. Is it possible to be conscious without being aware? We'll spend the next year or two and let's see. <laughs> let's see if we can be conscious without being aware. No, great question. It, uh, uh, definitely, I would say yes, but I'm not going to uh, hold. I'm not going to tell you why I would say what. Yes, you you have to take a look now because you're asking good questions. Trust your trust your questioning. This is, I mean this for everybody. Questioning is one of the doorways into the Dharma. Yeah, consciousness can definitely be not be aware. Now, would it still be described as consciousness? It's a really good question. You can see you've got me going here, and that's good. That's not a bad thing at all. Because remember, sati, sati, right? To observe, to know, to understand. And the understanding is not just intellectual understanding, it's experiential understanding. So let so anybody here not have consciousness? Right? Everybody's got consciousness, right? So I want all of you to now answer Alberto's question next week. Right? <laughs> Just study consciousness and let's see. Is there consciousness without awareness or not? And, of course, you're the first one I'm going to call on next week. <laughs> so you have to study it, too. But it's, it's one of the beauties of dharmic practice, is let's look, at, let's look at human reality. Let's see what it is. And what is it that the Buddha said human beings can wake up? And I'll read one last thing, and then we'll stop, because we're out of time. This is from Hakuin. Um, Hakuin was uh, one of my my old Zen friends. I like the Zen people because they're so quirky, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 themselves—they're themselves. They're not afraid to be themselves. And uh, Hakuin, uh, <laughs> I'm really going to blow it tonight, but I'm going to tell you what I remember about Hakuin. One of the main things I remember, at some point Hakuin decided he always had to pee squatting down. So that was, so he would always, he wouldn't pee standing up. Like if you're a guy, you pee, you're outdoors, you know, you, you pee standing up. No, no, Hakuin, you always squatted down. You know, he had his way. So, and he wrote this uh, poem. He said, he said, all beings, all beings by nature are Buddha. All beings by nature are Buddha. As ice by nature is water. All beings by nature are Buddha. As ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. How sad people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more, much more, those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, 
self-nature that is no nature go far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing right now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes. This very land, the lotus land. This very body, Buddha. Let's sit for a minute.